I'm Carlo Pignataro, and you are listening to a new episode of Lux and Friends. The title of this podcast is Art and Business, Music and Luxury. And to discuss such a variety of topics, I've had the pleasure of interviewing a true artist and a businessman, Vincent Corver. Vincent is an acclaimed concert pianist and a music composer, as well as an ambassador for Stayway and Sons, the most prestigious manufacturer of the finest musical instrument, the piano. With Vincent, I have discussed the intersection between art and luxury, what creativity can do in business, and the present state of art of both the, the music and the luxury industries. Listening to this podcast, you'll get to know an inspiring musician and a fine thinker. You learn that virtuosity alone, whatever your field of specialization is, won't take you as far as you wish, for you have to gain a wider perspective. You'll also learn that creativity and business can and should go hand in hand, except you may need to reframe both concepts in order to fully grasp the idea. Enjoy this episode of Lux and Friends, and once you've finished listening to it, go and check Vincent Corver's music. You love it. Vincent, thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here, Carlo. It's a, it's a big honor. I I'm extremely intrigued by what you do because when I first got to know you, and I realized that uh, not only you are an artist and a very accomplished one, you are a concert pianist and you uh, play all over the world, but you also work uh, as an entrepreneur Uh, in the luxury business, as an entrepreneur in the music and in the luxury business. So it's this intersection between art and luxury that has uh, truly intrigued me. And uh, that's why we started our conversation. And, I'm, and I have you here today on the show. So welcome. Thank you, Carlo. Um, it's, it's likewise, you've, you've inspired me a lot, um, especially listening to some of your podcasts. And I think I discovered you through LinkedIn And I was like, wow, this is someone who, who really, really shines a new light on luxury industry and something that I always wanted to maybe be part of in conversation. And, uh, and I, I love the fact that you were responding so quickly to my message there um, and, and invited me to be here. So I, I hope that today we can, we can look at a new side of the luxury industry. And, then and in fact, uh, this is really what I aim uh, to do here at Lux and Friends, to enlarge the public discourse uh, where luxury, lifestyle, well-being um, are now linked uh, to many other topics, many other things that are uh, transforming and changing uh, our universe. But let's start uh, with a brief history of your career. Where do you come from? How you started uh, as a musician, as an artist, and how has it developed uh, over something else? I was born in Holland and uh, did my musical studies at the Royal Conservatory of Music. And um, I was there from a very young age uh, where I started the young talent department, uh, as they call it now, uh, at age 12. So I was accepted, which was, uh, was a big journey towards that. And after that, I did my Bachelor of Music. So it was six years of, uh, you, know, pre, you know, preschool, um, I have to say secondary school, <laughs> not preschool, but 
practicing piano during preschool and then secondary school doing that entirely at the Conservatoire of Music. And uh, then also doing a Bachelor of Music there. So it was a it was a 12-year-long journey before I started doing my master's in London at the Royal Academy of Music. And there my affinity and love for luxury came about by seeing an advertisement by Harrods on, on the billboard in the Royal Academy of Music, which was you know, filled with, you know, are you looking for a room and are you looking for lessons? And all of a sudden there was a message there with a big logo that said Harrods. Uh, which I'm sure many people know as as the incredible uh, luxury department store in London. And it said, if you're looking for a part-time job in the Harrods piano department, please call this number. And I've I've always kept that ad instead of instead of just writing the number down, uh, you know, because phones weren't really a, a huge thing back then and camera phones didn't really exist. So I, I ripped it off the billboard and and took it home. And phoned a number and they said, oh, you can come for an interview if you'd like. And uh, I set in for an interview and entered this beautiful luxury department store and started in December 2004. Just after after Christmas, actually, between Christmas and New Year, I started my, my first day in Harrods. And um, yeah, they, they accepted me. And it was that first day where I sold three pianos um, just from the pure feeling of of enthusiasm and 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 love and passion for product and um this was really what my interview was about like do you know anything about luxury and i was like well i think luxury is all about communication and i've i've you know i've played in orchestras where you work with people as a team and love the piano and uh and for me it's about kind of conveying a message of 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 uh storytelling and uh and love for music. And that's that's what happened. So that was how I got in touch with the luxury industry. And from there on, I uh, from the UK onwards, I moved to Switzerland um, to work for Steinway & Sons. Uh, I started my own piano showroom in Switzerland as an entrepreneur uh, and was a director for Steinway & Sons in the Middle East in Qatar for five years as well, um, bringing me back to Switzerland. Having started my own um, actually showroom here for the world's finest sound system, which is Steinway Lindorf, uh, the beautiful speakers that you see here. And I'm also a Steinway artist, so I write music for luxury brands all around the world. So this is how kind of the music and the, and the luxury industry came together Let me in start. my life. Well, let me start with a question that um, popped up in my mind as you were speaking. The creativity you have uh, uh, nurtured all your, all your life as an artist, uh, but what part does it play in your life uh, as a businessman? Are, are those two separate things uh, or do you feel um, they merge? Creativity yeah, I think and they, they merge. It's a good question. I think they merge entirely into what I feel is my 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 artistic personality uh i feel you have that artistic personality as well as where you connect at a very dynamic level um and it's i think the creativity is completely intertwined into the business because i personally believe you can truly only be successful in 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 business and selling a product if you're truly, truly 
believe in it, and if you're artistically feel related to that uh, to that product, yeah. You also write music for luxury brands. What does mm. it mean? Why do luxury brands need their own music to communicate? And what do you try to achieve when you write this music for them? It's a um, it's it's such a, a a wonderful thing to do. Um, I I realized not only that luxury brands um, need music, very often they use the wrong music. So it's it's to the sense of where they are very scattered when it comes to their musical identity. And it's very interesting if you, for instance, look at a, um, a luxury brand like Swarovski, for instance, is a very, very good example. Uh, I've been in touch with them for a while. I haven't been writing any music Uh, until right now, but you see that they have a very cohesive brand message and they have so many different uh, angles of, 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 uh, of their business as well, whether it's the movies, whether it's the Swarovski elements, whether it's like their collections that people collect. It's, it's, it's such an interesting company. And when you see, their, uh, you see their videos, you see that they're often accompanied by incredible diverse type of music. And sometimes also music that is quite fitting and sometimes music that is also maybe a bit cliche in the sense is that, oh, you know, you experience this whole kind of a tingy sound for, for crystals. And that's why the, the track needs to be like this. But they have lots of varied type of music. And I, I feel that a lot of luxury brands, they work uh, with, you know, production companies and the production companies very often have a music supervisor. And they select random music from random libraries. And depending also on the scope of the project and the, the, the value of the project, but also then the budget, the music gets chosen. And very often kind of poor decisions are being made when it comes to music because it simply doesn't really fit. And as a composer, one can truly offer a journey, a musical journey with a brand and say, what is it, the music that you're looking for? What is the type of audience you have? What is your target? What would you like to achieve with this music? Um, and as a composer, you can then also say, well, uh, we can adapt the music, which obviously has stock music, it's library music, um, music that's fixed. It's impossible to come with an adaption, but it's also impossible to say, well, we're going to make a second version of this. And as a composer, um, you can create multiple versions of the music. So you can say, well, you have a department in, in, in the United States, you have a department in Southeast Asia, you have a department in Australia, you have a, uh, a European department, and you can create different variations. Let's say you have a department in India. Uh, you, you would like to create an adaption and, and use local instrumentation that would be more tailored towards uh, your audience there. And, and you can have the same track, but different instrumentation. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a real journey. Once luxury brands recognize your ability to, to be flexible and to take them on the journey, um, it's, it, they, they do find out it's something that they need because uh, it, it really underlines their brand message. It really speaks as a cohesive uh, whole, and it truly fits the images that they're trying to, and the message that they're trying to portray. 
How do you know, though, you have met the target? What I mean is, we live in a very visual world today. So we are, it's, it's much easier to reckon whether a visual com- campaign has met a target of uh, telling a story or of representing a brand image because it's a visual journey. When it comes to, na- to an auditory journey, how do you know that the music, which comes without words, is actually telling the story that the brand is trying to tell? Isn't it subjective? Music has such a different effect on different people. So very often um, I speak with film composers and they have conversations with people in the plane. People are asking them like, what, you know, what, what music have you been creating? And then they tell the, the film. Uh, and then very often the person says, but is there any music on this film? <laughs> and as a composer, very often if people wonder whether there is music uh, to something you have done the right job. So sometimes the music should not be noticed. The music should be part of an emotional experience, even though the person very often wouldn't even know what music is there. And this is a really interesting subject that, you know, if you, if I say Mission Impossible, you can hear the sound in your in your own mind. If I tell you James Bond, you know the theme song because it's repeated so, so much. But probably if I ask you your favorite TV series on, on Netflix and what music are they often playing, you probably wouldn't know because it, it's part of the musical and emotional experience that is not so conscious, but more subconscious. So music can be both. Now, how to measure the effect of this is probably to, to try and find out what emotional and storytelling effect um, images do have because I do feel as a musician that film is our greatest friend Um, and without film and without visuals it would be a lot harder for us film composers and for us musicians to to be heard and um, yeah that's that's how I feel I think film composers are the new classical composers Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Now, you mentioned before, and I'm very pleased about it, uh, the fact that I speak somehow musically or artistically. And in fact, I'm a musician myself, although very humbled in your presence because I'm much less accomplished than you are. But... Uh, in in my early in the early stage of my life, uh, I was very dedicated to music. I play guitar, I sing. I'm a trained opera singer, and I must say, I have uh, consecrated many many hours as a as a as a child and as a young man to music, to the point uh, that uh, when I realized it was also my first job, but when I realized that uh, I would have rather moved to a different career, for some times uh, I felt some sort of a sellout. I mean, as a, an artist or as a, somebody who wanted to be an artist, the very idea of having to sell something to somebody or to be involved in a commercial thing was kind of uh, negative for me. So when you move from being uh, a, an acclaimed concert piano t- pianist uh, to actually selling Steinway and Sons, which are the Rolls Royce of pianos, to wealthy people who may not even be able to play those pianos, how did it feel at the beginning? Yeah, I think everything is part of, of a journey of, um, of consciousness and realization, what works and what doesn't work. And I think the music industry is changing so radically from the times that uh, 
you and I were both young. Um, the, the music industry was actually very simple. It was explained to me that if I wanted to be a successful concert pianist, all I had to do was practice really hard and try to create some good recordings and win piano competitions. And through that, I could be an accomplished concert pianist. And until the invention of high-speed internet, you know, the industry as we know, the music industry as we know, it has radically changed. People went from, uh, from buying records to downloading them. And this, this shift, I, I was very, very aware of. Um, around 2002, 2003, 2004, we see kind of the, the, the rise of the internet music piracy. And the streaming was finally the answer to, to people pirating music and, and downloading it online because people thought, okay, well, if we can download music very, very quickly now with ADSL, um, after, after the disappearance of the dial-up internet connection, um, people thought it was much easier to obtain music directly online. And this, this radical shift made me realize that the commercial value of recording music was vanished, something that existed for over a hundred years. We're looking at 1903, we're looking at uh, the first recordings of Jodo from Maurice Ravel. Um, until now, we're looking at an industry that was identical for 100 years and suddenly went through this radical shift of where artists had to find new ways to earn a living. And I, I realized also from labels that I, who I approached that they were serious about only releasing new music rather than old music because they realized whenever they would adapt a new pianist was playing Chopin, uh, that, you know, sales, record sales would, would go down and uh, from, from previous recordings and then go up from new recordings, but finally there was no new money to be made. So there was extra costs in, in recording. And I started my own ensemble uh, in London, which is called the London C. Reich Ensemble. We started doing concerts and I, I found out that being purely artistic is a really expensive thing in the music industry. And I had to pay for my own rehearsal times and I had to pay my musicians and I had to pay, you know, uh, even concert halls and I needed to pay recording engineers and I needed to advance, uh, you know, because record labels were like, well, we're not no longer selling CDs. So if you want to make a CD for us, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, and, and I also noticed that advances that were advanced by the record label were never recouped because people stopped buying CDs. And then I thought by myself, well, um, I see also festival winners, like uh, piano competition winners that weren't really having a career. And my biggest change was I was in London. I was asked by a, a wonderful uh, piano teacher, and, and, and pianist called Peter Feuchtswanger um, to, to have a lesson with him and attend one of his students' concerts, to which I arrived in a very, very small London building uh, on a very, very old uh, Yamaha grand piano, heard these two concert pianists that were giving a shared concert. Um, 
and me approaching them after I said, listen, you're such an incredible concert pianist, but there's four people sitting in the audience and, uh, you know, and we're in a small school building. And, and they told me, so Vincent, yeah, this is, this is, this is my reality. And they were just fresh graduates from the Royal Academy of Music. So I was looking up to them massively because I just started my master. And I was shocked. I was shocked to see that this is going to be my future. My future after I graduate is, is this image in this school, old school building, in this old piano for four people audience. And um, I asked about their career and they said, I'm doing some chamber music and I'm playing some churches in London. And I said, I don't want to do this. I have to find new ways. I have to find new ways to do new things. And this is when I started my own ensemble. This is when I joined Harrods. And this is when I found out I needed to start writing music. So I created an adaption of a piece of Steve Reich, uh, which was called Six Pianos. And I created a, an arrangement of this because I thought it's much better as a solo pianist to play this work of six pianos because it's a logistical nightmare to have six pianos on stage. And I called Steve Reich, who I knew really well, and and he said, go for it. And we'll, we'll name it Piano Counterpoint. And this piece was finally... Um, sent in to the Grammy Awards by, by EMI at that time, which, which was a, an incredible, uh, incredible thing. And, and I realized, I was like, okay, if you do new things and you create your own music, um, there is so much more recognition of what it is you do. And if as a classical musician, you only focus on your inner abilities, and you focus on the art form and you focus on this, this incredible authentic journey there's nobody nobody um calling you and there's the phone will not ring uh, because people don't care about inner abilities they care about product and i thought it's the same with doctors like you can you can study for 30 years as a doctor and finally people will only pay you for the people you cure and, and you can study the, the luxury industry for, for three decades, but there's no one going to pay you. Once, once you deliver a product, this is when people will, will respond. And, and I think musicians forget this. They forget that their career is not about their inner abilities and their virtuoso. Uh, it, it, it's really about the product they bring. If you had the opportunity to meet your 20 years old self, yeah. what would you tell him? It's funny, I had this question before, and I would probably just tell myself to keep going and say nothing else. Because I think everything is there meant to be as a reason, and all the hardships are exactly there to push you into new directions. And I feel personally that I was faced by a lot of hardship in my life. And I, I feel that the people who I meet in my life who are very successful have similar stories. So I feel if I would have said something to make it easier, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it's, it's, I'd, I'd, I'd say just, just keep going and listen to everything that's surrounding you. And I think also as classical musicians, we lock ourselves up, right? We are in small practice rooms for many, many, many hours a day. The Royal Academy of Music, I had days that I was practicing 14 hours a day. And, and, and being a social person, for, often for a classical musician, is a difficult thing to do. And very often people tell me classical musicians are very arrogant and very difficult to work with. 
And I'm like, yes, because they, they've never, <laughs> they've never really had a social life and they've never really learned to look around. So I think in that regard, I'm fortunate to have a mother who pushed me out there and probably my job in Harris was the most important thing from my career, my piano career, even though the people at the Royal Academy of Music will be frowning because it's like, why is he working when he can be practicing? And I don't think people realize the importance of actually going out there as a musician, seeing the world. So musicians these days, I tell them, as I do a lot of um, career coaching sessions for musicians around the world, I say, open the newspaper, know what's there. Don't just look at your phone and social media, but um, get a job, like get a real job, <laughs> not a musical job and not a teaching job, but get a real job and, and find out what other people talk about and how they communicate. And that's, that's so important. And if you don't get these experiences from a young age onwards, you're lost. And I see that with many of my friends who, who are unbelievably great musicians, but struggle uh, to get 200 euros for a concert like a couple of times a year. Oof, that's hard. This also mm -hmm. reminds me of a quote from one of my favorite writers uh, uh, ever, John Fante, who wrote uh, Ask the Dust. He used to say, the job of a writer is not to write, but to live his life. Only then we'll have something to write about. <laughs> yes. This makes sense. Yes. Very, very true. It's also what I wonder as a writer, how many books do you need to read to be a good writer? Or can you be a good writer by not reading books? <laughs> uh, by actually by by keeping your mind fresh and actually writing about your experiences it may be an option as a writer i can tell you that uh, the less books and valuable ones i read the more i understand them to read a lot of many books uh, uh, but not thoroughly is a waste of time whereas when you focus on some good ones uh, they've always something uh, new to tell you yes yeah because they really change your way of thinking Absolutely. And they, they, they allow you to grow as a thinker. Vincent, since you sit in a very unique position, uh, as we said before, so your business uh, is at the crossroad between creativity, music, and luxury. What's the state of the art, in your opinion, in terms of creativity of the luxury industry? The luxury industry is very alive. We can see it every day. Brands are becoming larger and larger. They also belong to big conglomerates that have the financial means to communicate widely and openly. However, are they expressing a high level of creativity, in your opinion, or is more marketing and, uh, how can I say, cultural relevance, so to speak, rather than artistry? The world is filled with digital noise. And I think every brand in the world is facing an incredible change in the industry where, uh, whereas in the old days, someone in the south of Sri Lanka couldn't have a viral video. And now someone who owns a little car mechanic shop in India can do a little basketball thing with a car tire and, and get millions and, and millions of streams. And I feel that maybe luxury brands in the old days, just like composers and just like artists and just like, like, uh, like actors, um, were all competing amongst themselves. And now we're competing in a world of digital noise. Whereas, you know, back in the days, I would maybe compete with another pianist. Now I'm competing with 
videos about Ukraine and I'm um, political uh, videos and and funny TikTok moments and, and that that is your your competition these days. I find that incredibly difficult to deal with. So I feel we live in an industry where brands and artists um, it doesn't matter who does what it matters what you do so to say it the other way around it matters what you do and not who does it and i think this is also a message for luxury brands to actually focus on not who they are as much but focus on more what they do and what impact they make and i think luxury is about storytelling it's about experiences as as often i also hear in your podcast People talk about the value of experiences and and in a sense as also as, as a luxury brand, if you can create valuable experiences rather than only rely on your history, it's 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 a very, very important message. And I feel often that luxury brands say we, we want to find new audiences. Maybe those new audiences, you know, don't always per se feel related to the historic message of the brand. We look at watch brands, we look at Louis Vuitton, we look at, you know, message, you know, brands that carry so much weight in this industry, but is maybe appreciated to some extent by the younger generation, but, but certain authenticity and certain stories don't really matter anymore. So as a brand, we cannot rely anymore uh, or as a luxury industry, I feel you cannot rely anymore on solely reputation. You have to rely on what is the experiences you bring to your audience. And for that, I feel that music is a, is a great part of that because it is part of the experience and it's part of, of finding a new audience that uh, also comes onto the path of the brand and, uh, and through music. That's a, that's a, that's a really really um, can be a really important um, side journey. I so much agree with you on the very idea of reframing competition. Not long ago, watch brands would compete with other watch brands. Uh, accessory brands would compete with other accessory, fashion brands, etc. But now, as you just said, you compete with a TikToker. Uh, in some remote place of earth. So to cut through this digital noise, and not just brands, professionals like ourselves as well, every individual, that's so important to reframe who your competitors are. And uh, the the more you dig into it, the more you realize that uh, the level of competition has increased, that is increasing on a daily basis. It increases all the time and it it becomes noisier and noisier. And it's in, in the end, it's like swiping technologies cause the decay of our concentration span. So thank you, Steve Jobs. Um, you know, people, as we say, you, you need to put everything in the first five seconds. And there is all these incredible courses out there, you know, about how to be successful in social media and, um, you know, how emerging technologies are also fading. We, we see it with, uh, we, we see it with so many Google Glass, for instance, um, technologies that come and go. And, and, and I think it's so difficult for luxury brands nowadays to be like, what, what do we actually focus on? Um, on, on whom do we focus? And um, we, we see large department stores at, at Oxford Street that are all in, disappearing, like, you know, like snow in the sun. And we see that online shopping is, is getting bigger and bigger. And 
and and true value of 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 salesmanship is 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 being lost and and this is a, i i feel is a terrible thing that even as a as a store like Harrods which is so proud about the customer service and 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 a knowledgeable uh, staff who have all passion for a product and and give the shopper a true experience that people just don't have time anymore and they're so rushed through life and 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 luxury brands are here we are here to give you the experience but you don't have time to experience it it's 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 very 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 difficult and i personally i'm not sitting here to say i have the solution because i honestly don't i i do feel very passionate about creating dialogue so how my music is composed is that it generates a form of musical dialogue and that is represented within the music itself so doing a project um doing a project for instance for uh together with formula 1 it's it's about recording the car and the noises of this car and 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 really going deep in saying what is the sounds that play in this particular um ambiance and creating a musical instrument out of the car and then having a dialogue between the piano and the car and when i have a film a score that i play to it is having a dialogue with the film score and kind of this organic interaction i find so important so as a luxury brand it's also about how can we form dialogue and i think if you're a bank and you're a relationships manager is also how can we form dialogue and i think brands have so much relied on generic forms of communication we look at as your bank sending you these brochures that are printed with their um with their standardized approach with you know it's it's is like that i don't think this is what people want anymore they finally want to have a dialogue and someone to ring them and say hey why don't you come over for a cup of tea and let's discuss this and i think this is what i hope the luxury industry is going to be about more and more where in fact is you really really going to dialogue with someone and i do the same thing today here i have some Uh, some wonderful people over who uh uh who I did an event for for a small world and small world is a very exclusive social media platform and they're coming back here to the house to listen to the sound speakers and it's not about them buying it's about creating a conversation about music and for them to experience music at a completely different level and and for them to really listen to music again and even music that they know but in a redefined way so these wonderful steinwillender speakers they they feel like you're you're looking at sound through a microscope so you see this endless texture it's almost like you're putting a microscope on a louis vuitton bag and you see the actual letter movements and it 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 you know the consistency of the fabric and you know the way how the stitching is done and i think maybe this is what i would want to focus on as a luxury brand to take someone to see your stitching and see the microscopic workings i feel like people like um jacob and co watch brand um who are creating this incredible um fully transparent 
dome watches, how they put these videos together is just that they really show the inner workings in saying, how far do you go in shaping this, this, this ornament? You know, how much time goes into the, the, the actual, uh, you know, the filing of the gold and the setting of the stones. And you see all this happening. And I'm like, this is someone who really breathes luxury and understands, you know, the journey of it. And for people to feel like, oh, my God, there is an artisan who, and this is the art into maybe finally answering your question. How does the art come into the luxury industry? In this watchmaking videos of, of Jacob and Co, they really fully, fully understand yeah. like what does art do in the luxury industry and and with music i'm trying to do this thing it's about experiencing things and creating memorable experiences and and for people to say uh i had one compliment after one of the events that i did here with the steinway lindorf system they said um people will never forget how vincent made them feel and I thought that was the biggest compliment I probably have ever received for, for anything that I've done in this world. And that I feel is going truly to the to the experience. And 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 it doesn't it doesn't matter what you sell, and it doesn't matter about the numbers, and it doesn't matter how much money you make, because you know that that experience will last. And that's literally for me everything that matters. Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I had with Guido Terreni, who at the time was leading the Bulgari watch division. Now he's at the head of Parmigiani. And he told me exactly the same thing. In uh, um, high watchmaking, the experience must be built around the product because the product is so unique, such a product of the finest intellectual human activities that you cannot escape it. You cannot create something. You must focus on that and give the experience, not just the product, but the experience. And I must travel to Zurich and listen to this incredible system myself because now I'm very intrigued. It's it's something that you've never heard before and... Um, I sometimes put on Billie Jean from Michael Jackson, which, yeah. of course, the track that, well, I believe basically everyone knows. Um, and when they stand here and they hear this track and they hear this 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 incredible snare and kick, and and the sound of Michael's voice that goes from left to right, um, in the speaker is is at such a such a high definition sound and it's so incredibly vibrant and clear that oh my goodness we've never heard music like this before and that's that's amazing and i remember also when it comes to experiences i approached harrods quite recently about a dream that i had and it was a dream that i woke up in rainy london and it was very late and i entered harrods through a time machine so there was literally going entirely back in time and it was the old tales and the sounds of it and it was the manufacturing of the old ways of creating the candy and the smell of the caramel and stuff as people were steering the caramel and, and it it was a dream that i had and i was like wow we live in such a fast time and we forget about the old days and kind of the history of things and i was like sometimes we need to go back into a time machine and experience actually all the things that we take for granted now but have all this innovation behind it but 
but factually experience it. And I think if people would go back into a time machine and they would experience luxury through a time machine, they would look at luxury entirely differently because they would really feel the product and become the product and see the product. And that's what I feel with my music. It's just in the sense that you become. And, I sense. And, uh, I sense because I've been doing this long enough that uh, our viewers and listeners will want to know more about you after this inspiring conversation. Where can they find you? There is a website, vincentcorver.com. Um, which which has the videos uh, and also the brands that I've worked with and the films that are there. And it's always very wonderful to hear people say, I was on your website and I saw this music that you created for this brand. And I understand, I understand why you made this music for this brand and why it's fitting. And, 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 and this is, this is wonderful. And sometimes I also have people that say, I've heard your music, but I never knew it was you. And, um, This is, this is also wonderful. And of course, there's Instagram, uh, which for me is uh, still a means of communication, reaching out to people and uh, also at Vincent Corver, uh, where, where people can kind of find more of the, the, the weekly updates, so to speak. Vincent Corver, thank you for being on Lux and Friends. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. And I hope to speak to you soon. Like.